Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you. And as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash e5. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Zapier. Zapier is an awesome company, and I'm thrilled that they're sponsoring Exit 5. They are one of the secret go-to tools, maybe not so secret anymore, that I've seen B2B SaaS marketers use over the years, and I'm thrilled to have them as a sponsor. Zapier is easy automation for everyone. By connecting with more than 5,000 of the most popular apps B2B marketers are using, like Salesforce, HubSpot, Slack, literally thousands more, Zapier lets you automate almost anything you can think of without writing code, which is especially good for people like me. And with Zapier's easy-to-use workflow templates, you can start saving time and impressing your boss fast. More than 2 million businesses automate their tasks with Zapier, including top brands like Shopify, Airtable, Dropbox, HubSpot, Zendesk, and more. They choose Zapier to streamline their work, save money, and find more time for what matters most, and that's more important now than ever. That's the reason why Zapier rhymes with happier. Bet you didn't know that. Now you know how to say it the right way, too. Every day, Zapier customers save more than $10,000 in time per year. With Zapier, you can move new leads into your CRM. You can automatically reach out to new leads, get Slack notifications for important emails, auto-generate emails with personalized content based on form inputs, seamlessly synthesize data from multiple sources, reduce human error, and increase accuracy. You can try Zapier for free. That's one of the best things about it. Go to zapier.com backslash exit five, one word. That's zapier, Z-A-P-I-E-R.com forward slash exit five. Zapier.com forward slash exit five. One, two, three, four. Exit five. Exit five. Exit five. All right, so we're live now. That means there's just thousands of people rolling in from everywhere. <laughs> Lindsay and I were just backstage and we were saying, don't change how it was backstage. Lindsay was, we were just talking about living on the East Coast versus the West Coast. And I'm envious of her consistently 66 and sunny and sunny days. But we're here now. Uh, <laughs> I'm Dave. This is Lindsay. Thanks for joining us. Here's what I want you to do before we get rolling. Go into the chat, please. Go in the chat and type your name. I'm going to do two. Make sure I go to public chat. 
type your name and where you're writing in from. So I'm Dave. I'm in Vermont. See if anybody else is out there. There we go. All right. Thank goodness. This is how I always check that it's working. I was like, is anybody going to be out there today? Nicole's in Connecticut. Yasmin is in. There you go. Steve's in San Diego with you. Orlando, Rhode Island, Brazil, Austin, Texas, Nashville, Georgia, Sweden, Boston, Berkeley, Mumbai, Tampa, North Carolina. I just do this because it's it's amazing. Every time it gets better. Oh, cool. So people are here for all over. And I was just talking, first of all, before I go off on a little tangent, this is my guest, Lindsay. Lindsay, why don't you do a quick intro? Who are you? What do you do for work? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. I'm Lindsay Roethlisberger. I live in San Diego, California with my husband, our dog, and our three-year-old son. I am the Director of Revenue Operations at Zapier. I've worked in marketing uh, and marketing ops for the majority of my career and transitioned last year into leading RevOps. So um, have some perspective in working at startups and large enterprises. So have learned a lot along the way. How did you get into RevOps before we get into this? My guess is you didn't go to college and like or somewhere or whatever, enter the workforce and say, when I grow up, I'm going to be a director of RevOps. What's your quick path to get here? Yeah, I think mine's actually a really common path. I think a lot of us ops folks say we fell into ops. So what happened in my case is I worked on a demand gen team, so in B2B marketing, many years back. And I started to kind of become the marketing automation expert on the team. So I was the one who leaned more heavily into the analytics and leaned more heavily into the building and the workflows and um, the process. And I got a lot of joy and fulfillment out of um, that side of the house. So that was sort of my entry point, then transitioned to a marketing ops role. And then RevOps now um, just encompasses even a lot more across the entire funnel, but there are still a lot of similarities between my first marketing ops job and what RevOps looks like today. So this is the highest registered session that we've done. I think this one just beat out the session with Jasper on AI, which I thought, if you had asked me before, what's going to be more popular, a session on AI or a session about RevOps, I would have 100% sent AI. And then like two months ago, this is completely separate thought, but two months ago, we do a podcast on ABM. I'm like, oh, everybody's already talked about ABM. We do a podcast with ABM. It becomes the most downloaded podcast instantly ever. And I feel like the more I dig into like what content people in and around the Exit 5 world are interested in, it is really the the trend stuff is cool, but they like the nuts and bolts stuff. And RevOps is so key to what's happening inside of a company today. And I think the more you unpack it, it's like there's all the thought leadership and cool, sexy things in marketing you can do. But ultimately, it comes down to like company strategy, being aligned, having clear goals, having clear measurement. And I think RevOps sits at the center of that. So when I think about it from that perspective, it's not a surprise that there's 900 people that registered for this. But what's your reaction just yeah. really quickly to why is there so much interest in this topic? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was just reading an article from Forbes that RevOps is the fastest growing job title in the U.S., but it's defined very differently at every organization. So they had trouble sort of narrowing in on like the key responsibilities So I think that just kind of goes to show that there are a lot of ways to do this. And I think people are really interested in in trying to figure out the best way for their org. All right, well, let's do it. Lindsay has a great deck. It's not just going to be, we're not just going to flip over and just go into deck mode right now. I've seen this content. It's great. I'm going to interrupt, put questions in also. So while Lindsay's going through, I'll continue to play host, but go in the Q&A section. We're using Goldcast. Go in the Q&A, put your question in there and 
if it's related to something that like pops up on the screen, I want to stop and we'll we'll hop in and, and out. And so I've seen this content. What you're going to get is a great deep dive overview about like what RevOps is, why it matters, how to think about it, and it'll be a nice little crash course for you or a refresher. Or if anything, you're going to realize Zapier is a high-performing company and we don't do it this way and we got to make some changes to how we do things. So turn it over to you, Lindsay. Cool. I'll jump in right in, Dave, but definitely interrupt me. I'll start just another pick of me and my son here, but I kind of dug into my roots here in San Diego, my background in marketing and marketing ops, and now RevOps. I want to go quickly through just what we'll cover today to kind of set the stage for everybody. First, we'll start with marketing ops and RevOps role in the organization and what sort of like different types of RevOps teams might do and frameworks for growing your RevOps or your ops org into a more strategic stronghold in the org. We'll also talk about how we measure success in RevOps at Zapier and some of the guiding principles that we use. We'll touch on top trends in ops in 2023 and what to really look out for. And then we'll talk about how to decide whether to centralize or decentralize ops. And I think there's a lot that goes into a big decision like that. That's a major org change. So want to share why we did it and some of the learnings along the way. I'm just going to jump through into just a quick overview for everybody about what exactly is RevOps to set the stage here. So according to HubSpot, uh, revenue operations is an automated business process that aligns sales, marketing, customer service, and or success orgs to make decisions that drive predictable revenue and promote growth. RevOps can look really different at different organizations. And we'll talk a bit more about what our RevOps team looks like when we get to the centralization discussion. But typically, RevOps is composed of the traditional sales ops elements like a deal desk, comp planning, sales analytics, CRM administration, also with the marketing ops elements like marketing automation, analytics, and dashboarding and reporting, UTMs and tracking and lead management and all of that kind of combined under one roof. Any questions so far? Yeah, there is a question, but it's I don't know if you want to jump into your deck or not. So I'm, I think Rachel put in our Q&A, she, they want to know what's your definition of RevOps first, like what that means inside of the team at Zapier. But I think you're going to get to that. Yeah, I am going to get to that. So we'll hold off there, but a lot to share there as well. I want to just briefly talk about the role. That's okay, Rachel. All good. We're excited. Uh, the role of RevOps in the organization. I have sort of a maturity model to kind of demonstrate what a RevOps team kind of strives toward. I think it's really important, though, to recognize that every business is different. So, you know, there's not a recipe for building a strong ops function that's going to apply to every single business challenge. But what I tried to do here was map out the basic evolution of an ops function, and this can reply, apply to marketing ops, sales ops, or rev ops. But typically, when, when you have your first ops hire, they're going to be very reactive and request-based. So, for example, they'll create a new triggered email series, or they'll set up an automated workflow for lead management. So they'll likely be measuring their success by like the new things that they create. And so can tend to be pretty short-term focused and just trying to get the basics set up. But this won't be the case forever. You'll start to add new processes and make it easier for other folks in the org to self-serve building campaigns and executing. So that is just not on the ops folks. And you start to have shared goals. So ops has shared goals with sales or with marketing 
And this is really starting to build the foundations towards scaling past one-off programs. Once the foundations are in place, you might have some formal processes, you have the basic technology, so you can really start being a partner to the marketing teams in terms of where they should invest and should they try new marketing channels and how do we sort of operationalize that and how do we decide whether or not those channels are working. Past innovation, I have strategic. And at this point, this is when the ops function is really central to the why of the organization and what you're doing to solve your customers' problems. So it happens when the systems and capabilities that you have on the ops side really match and are tightly aligned to your strategy and your org overall. So we use this maturity model really just to frame the way that we structure our team and how we prioritize. So it doesn't mean that early on you can't solve big strategic problems or anything like that, but it's helped us sort of prioritize how to make progress toward the right end of the spectrum, or we're really partnering with the marketing org, or we're partnering with the leaderships and go, leadership and go-to-market to influence the strategy and help set up the mechanisms to then measure and validate that and scale it. I have a question on this. So yeah. maturity of an ops team starts off reactive, goes to foundational, goes to innovative, goes to strategic. That is like the dream state, right? This is the goal. Why do you think a lot of companies get trapped where ops becomes very much stuck in the reactive bucket. You're kind of only dealing with tools and technology and you're not able to find your way into strategically what's going on in the business. Because I feel like, especially when you're thinking about the marketing ops side of this, I think it's easy to get stuck in that trap. A hundred percent. And this is actually really common in RevOps because when RevOps is a centralized function, what can happen is you become a team of ticket takers and you're just building the best process for every new request that comes through. What a really good ops team can do to start to make progress here is to be able to decide, okay, what solution is okay for us to have an MVP to get something out the door quickly so that we can stay really focused on some of these foundational builds. And so it all comes down to prioritization. But I think ops folks who can who can really t- uh, make smart decisions about how robust of a solution to build. Yes, thank you, Emily. So minimum viable product is sometimes okay. Like sometimes ops people can get in sort of like process perfectionism where they're building this very robust process for something that just doesn't need to be very robust. It's okay to be scrappy in some places and like understanding those trade-offs and making the right decisions there will really help propel ops teams forward. I also want to talk about just a few other ways to start to make progress toward the right end of the maturity model here. Of course, I have to talk about automation because I work in RevOps at Zapier. So as you can imagine, we automate everything. We automate our entire lead capture and lead management process. That's kind of a given. So I decided to focus here on some of the ways that we actually automate our RevOps team workflows in order to make our team more efficient. So one of the quick ways on the far left here, we stay in sync as a RevOps team with our priority bot. So in an automation, we share our weekly top priorities. We have a change log zap, so we can actually react to a Slack message and it will note that message, which contains changes to our CRM in a CRM change log. That way, everyone on our team can see, oh, a change to HubSpot was made on this date, and we sort of have a running record of that. 
we use it to alert us of when data issues arise. So if we have a large increase in contacts added to our marketing automation system, we have to go check. And that just gives us peace of mind in sort of like any sort of firefighting that we could potentially get pulled into. And then our request process. So we use Zaps to manage our RevOps request process and help us stay organized so that we're making sure that we are prioritizing proactive projects in an equal form next to those reactive projects. So I think trying to think about the the things that cause you to switch context frequently or that are disruptive, those are all things that likely a computer can do and with AI even more so. The next thing, and I think if ops people are watching this, I think this is the one that they will nod their head to the most really going deep with stakeholders in marketing and sales and really understanding what they're trying to accomplish and not just what they're trying to accomplish, but why. So I think a really good ops person goes super deep with their stakeholders and asks a lot of questions to find out not only like, how is this program going to benefit them, but how is this program going to benefit the customer? Because this really starts to build that partnership that I mentioned between ops and then go-to-market teams. Just as a quick observation of this, I always feel like at either companies that I've been at or companies that I've seen, it's always like the day before the big company meeting, it's like the CMO and the RevOps person are spending three hours together whiteboarding or planning, you know, working on something. And I've seen this with the CRO, I've seen it with the CMO, where uh, actually seen it with the CEO, where this RevOps person becomes almost like the right hand to these company leaders in the revenue function. And so I think it's so easy to get into the tools and tech right away, but ultimately nothing matters unless you're aligned with that exec. So I like this advice of, of going deep with stakeholders. And I just wanted to share that as an anecdote. Yeah, absolutely. And it just helps us so much when we're brought in early to ideation stages of projects because we can really help figure out like, okay, how do we make this work operationally and partner together on the level of effort too. Cool. All right, let's keep going. The questions are kind of like all across the board. And so I'm, yeah. I'm going to actually save them and we'll rip through them all at the end because I think some of them you're going okay. to answer. Cool. Um, I'll just quickly go through a thoughtful roadmap. I think one thing that makes ops folks really successful is having a roadmap that has clear themes that ladder up into company level metrics that really sizes the impact and the opportunity of every project that is thoughtful with regard to prioritization and that it communicates the impact. So not just we standardized our UTM structure for the marketing team, but communicating something like this new UTM structure allowed us to identify that ebook campaigns drive higher quality leads than video ads or something like that. And then again, embracing the minimum viable product. Not everything needs to be perfect, but what is enough to get you the results that you're looking for? This is the one that I think a lot of people are probably interested in too. Um, What's the best way to measure success? Most obvious one, impact on revenue. So RevOps plays a huge role in sort of measuring and helping to increase things like average deal size, the lifetime value of a customer, net revenue retention. So of course, RevOps is a super strong partner in building the mechanisms to really drive that predictable revenue growth. But the one that we've been really focused on too as a RevOps team at Zapier is efficiency. So what that means is having a really predictable volume of qualified leads and making sure that we're spending we're putting dollars toward the avenues and the channels that are going to drive the highest quality leads. And then 
things like monthly revenue per rep. So we want to make sure that our reps are all achieving a predictable amount of revenue. So how can we fix their process? How can we dig into what they're doing day to day and just make them as efficient as possible? Conversion rates are also just super important from a foundational perspective. So we benchmark all of our conversion rates and that allows us to really diagnose where in the funnel are we having issues and where in the funnel should we invest our resources. And I'll talk about this in the centralization piece, but RevOps really can have that full view of the entire funnel, which is really helpful. Another, these last two are great for ops teams that are really early on. And so maybe aren't, haven't made a ton of progress in that maturity model quite yet. But just increasing the number of data points that you can capture. So a really good lead and lead and deal management process. Really, the whole point of that is that you can actually measure how customers are progressing and um, whether or not they're getting what they need at the right time. So just simply being able to measure and predict revenue is a huge, early, great early goal for ops teams. And then just the use of tooling and processes. So if we bring on a new tool, like are people using it? Are people getting the most out of it? That's another really easy measure to employ like early on in the maturity. I know people want to talk about the centralization. So I'll also just talk briefly about top trends that everyone in ops or with an interest in ops or even in marketing should be thinking about. So changing gears a little bit, I believe it's going to be super important to really pay attention to AI right now, of course. I think y'all probably feel similarly here. So we've already started seeing a lot of SaaS tools incorporate AI. Hey, so I created Exit 5 to help you build a successful career in B2B marketing. First, it started off as my private podcast on Patreon. And many of you who listen to this today probably are OGs and remember that. I was talking about my lessons and learnings going from PR intern to CMO. Then it morphed into a Facebook group and quickly became one of the top resources for marketers in B2B SaaS. Today, this is a full-blown company. We have three full-time employees and ambitions to grow the team and keep building and hire more people this year. And we're investing in everything that's working, which right now is everything. It's amazing. We're making a big update to our community. We're doubling down on this podcast to serve the 5,000 people that listen every week. We're investing in our newsletter and written content to help the 16,000 people that get our emails. We're even hosting our first in-person event in September. We're building Exit 5 to help you grow your career in B2B marketing because really there's no school for B2B marketing. You can't get a degree in how to build pipeline and there isn't a playbook for how to get promoted in your career. And that's why I'm telling you right now to go and join the Exit 5 community. Go to Exit 5.com. You can click join right there. There's a free seven-day trial. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you are one of those 5,000 people that listen to this podcast every single week and you have not joined our community yet, go and do that. At least go and check out the seven-day free trial. You'll sign up, you'll put your credit card in, but we don't bill you until seven days. It's a seven-day free trial. And this is this is really Dave. We really do all of this. I want to build a company that is customer-friendly. And that means that if you sign up, and two weeks into this thing, you realize it's not for you, you can email us and cancel. But I want you to go check it out. It's a seven-day free trial. Go to exit5.com. You can get in our community and you'll see why it's so much more than just a discussion forum. Exit 5 is a B2B marketing resource that's there for you when you need it the most. When your boss comes to you and says, hey, we need you to come up with an ABM strategy for this year and you've never done that before. You go to Exit 5 and you ask that question or you go and search the hundreds of posts before you. When you want to look for a new job but you're not ready to post about it on LinkedIn yet, you can quietly 
constantly browse for open roles to see who's hiring inside of Exit 5. Or maybe you need to build a peer group of other people in your job function, but LinkedIn is too broad to dig through. You can find out who else works in product marketing in your niche or who else, who else is a director in the $1 million to $10 million company range. You can do that inside of Exit 5. Maybe you want freelance, maybe you like you need to make a video in a pinch and you need recommendations for a freelance videographer that can work on your next product launch video and they're located in the US and within your range of budget. That is why we built Exit 5 and that's what you can go in there and do. So go and check it out, exit5.com, start a free trial and we'll see you inside of the community. Into their functionality. So I think you'll start to see the option to interact and use AI quite regularly in the SaaS tools that we know and love today. So being able to not only identify opportunities to use AI to help you reach your goals easier, but also even just writing good AI prompts. Like how do you provide the right level of context for it to be successful? I'll give an example. So on our RevOps team, We've actually started creating zaps with HubSpot, Gong, and OpenAI to summarize our sales calls and identify a key use case. And so we share that with the rest of the org to keep them really aligned in terms of what's going on in customer conversations. And we're also using AI to draft email replies to leads. Um, so we've just started experimenting with that. And it's been really, really impressive. So I think just figuring out how to use AI to help with all sorts of administrative tasks is going to be key. Zapier just released an open AI plugin. So that actually means you can use chat GPT to perform tasks in an app that you already have connected through Zapier. That allows you to kind of not switch context and switch between different apps to make changes or query leads or um, send emails to leads or other folks on your team. I will jump into the next one here, specialized tools. So I think all of us have noticed that there are just a growing number of really specialized tools popping up on the market. So do things that personalize websites, chat and in product messaging tools, sales intelligence tools. So learning how to both assess those tools and whether or not your organization needs them is going to be really important. And then also just figuring out how to connect and integrate those into your tech stack is going to be increasingly important for ops professionals to get really good at. And next up, I have centralization. Okay, to centralize or not, the ultimate question. So I actually have some reasons to centralize and then I can sort of translate into why we made this decision at Zapier last year. I want to first call out that not every business should centralize in a, a, to a RevOps model in my mind. So I'm going to talk about the specific cases in which I think it makes sense. So in our case at Zapier, we were struggling to maintain a consistent customer relationship and consistent experience for customers across our marketing and sales funnels. So for us, we have a subscription and a usage-based revenue model. So we're a product-led growth company. And that means that every lead or every customer could potentially be a lead because we're also looking to expand and increase usage. And that, that's what fuels our revenue. So as you can imagine, there are just a lot of handoff points between marketing and sales and support and customer success. So someone can kind of bounce through that funnel rather quickly and then route back through. And so it got really difficult to manage that for customers and create something that was seamless. One of the other big benefits related to this is that 
a RevOps team can actually see areas of opportunity then across that entire funnel. So for example, should we focus on product market fit because our top of funnel conversion rates are low? Or should we focus on rep enablement because our win rate is low? So having that higher level view was a real benefit for us. In traditional B2B models with really long sales cycles, it might not be as compelling because there's sort of more structure to that process. Another big benefit for us was being able to drive more exchange of ideas on our team. So oftentimes you'll have one marketing ops person or one sales ops person. It can be very lonely. It can be very hard to figure out solutions totally on your own. And so it's been just amazing to see this RevOps team come together and really work together in solving problems. RevOps can also help drive alignment across go-to-market teams. So for example, we've created a really cool feedback loop mechanism. So sales can actually share insights with product and marketing. So the way that we do this is we have a large deal walkthrough that we record each week and we um, share it with the rest of the Zapier org. So RevOps is sort of able to play that role in aligning the rest of the go-to-market strategy. Oh boy, sales gets to share ideas about what they want from marketing and product. What a joy. (laughs) I know. I know. I think in marketing, we've been trying to crack that code for a really long time and RevOps could potentially be the answer there. It's it's been really interesting to see. I just wanted to make a joke for the market. <laughs> I'd be like, I would be flooded with idea with messages. <laughs> yeah, I totally relate. All right, keep going. You're on fire. Keep doing. Um, at Zapier, we use a ton of third party tools. Centralizing ops gives us ownership and oversight over those tools. Before we had RevOps, someone might bring on a call recording tool for product research, but we already have one in sales. And so centralizing that allows us to really make the best use and investments in tooling. Lastly, I know when I was in ops and a team of one or two, have a lot of single points of failure. There is a lot of information in those brains of your ops people in terms of how things work. And so having the assurance that you have a team that kind of understands the basic mechanisms for how things work, just it avoids a lot of risk. On the right here of this slide, I should have mentioned this up front, you can see the org structure for our RevOps team. So we decided we needed a dedicated tools and tech team because of the complexity of our data and the way that our tools are implemented. So we have two people just focused on tooling administration. So that's the CRM and the marketing automation platform. Then we have our ops folks. Those are sort of the day-to-day builders. Those are what we call our automation heroes. And they're building all the workflows, the lead management process, thinking about sales efficiency. Our planning and analytics team really tightly partners with go-to-market leadership. So they're the ones working on forecasting. How do we get predictable revenue where are the gaps in the funnel and where are the conversion rates maybe not measuring up to benchmark. And that also comes with comp planning and things like that too. And then we just started doing sales enablement within RevOps. And it's kind of cool that we have that nestled under planning and analytics because those two kind of go hand in hand. Like where are the parts of the funnel where we need more enablement? And we focus those efforts there. I'm going to move to the next slide. When you shouldn't centralize... I gave a lot of thought into whether or not we should centralize ops Mm. at Zapier. It's a big change. It can be cumbersome. You've got to teach people how to work with you. So I definitely did a lot of thinking around the pros and cons. 
Sales, marketing, and customer success are fairly mature. If they're not doing a lot of new programs, if they're not doing a lot of experimentation, if their benchmarks are pretty set, if you've got really strong product market fit and you're not testing new product launches, like and things are pretty stable, that could be a reason not to make any changes. The other big thing and, and sort of my fear with the centralized model initially was are we as RevOps going to start to get too far away from the goals of our marketing teams? Like I, I really wanted to make sure that we still deeply understood what marketing was trying to accomplish. And if you separate them out as a function, you've got to figure out how to bridge that gap. But if that alignment is just really more important for you, you want an ops person that is really embedded in that marketing team, then you should definitely keep it that way. Yeah. And I just saw the question, can you give examples of what a centralized versus decentralized? So sorry. Yeah, definitely. So decentralized is when you have a marketing ops team or person that reports into the CMO or reports into the demand generation team. So it's sort of embedded in that team. And then likewise with sales ops, you have ops folks that are directly reporting into the sales organization. And same with customer success or support ops. But in, in our case, our RevOps function reports directly into the CRO, the chief revenue officer who um, leads all of go-to-market. Is that helpful? Yeah, no, it's helpful. And I can add some more context on that. Typically, one of the things that happens, and I've seen both sides of it, is that a marketing... So let's say you're the CMO or you're the VP of marketing, you have a marketing ops need, you hire a marketing ops person. Now marketing ops is kind of on your team and you're often presenting on revenue and things that touch sales and customer success and other places in the business and finance. And then the sales leader hires a sales ops person because they need a person. And now it feels like it's my person versus your person. And we can often argue over which data is right, what story is right, where... The theory is that if you align them all on the same team, and so even though the marketing ops person might sit with the CMO like day to day and basically work on her team, she re actually reports to like a head of ops who oversees the sales ops person and the CS ops person and the marketing ops person and the whatever ops person. That's how I've kind of understood it. Yep, that's right. So on our org structure here, on our operations team, we have someone who specializes in sales ops and someone who specializes in customer success ops and marketing ops. However, those three have very similar skill sets and they do understand how leads progress through the whole funnel. So they can jump in and they work together really closely just to make sure that whole experience is tied together. Beautiful. Okay, cool. so I think we answered that one. Yeah. Question for you. What was it that was happening at Zapier that drove you? Like, did you just like listen to a podcast and you're like, yeah, you know what? Let's centralize ops. Like, what was it that drove a change at your company? Yeah. And I want to like caveat, I think in the beginning when when we were first starting to see RevOps pop up, a lot of ops people, I think, were a little nervous because they were afraid. And I think this does happen as well, where you might just still have one ops person who's now responsible for the entire funnel. So you have, you're essentially just taking on more work. And so I just want to call that out as maybe why in some orgs, you might see ops folks kind of not be totally sure if this is the right move for them. But the big forcing function at Zapier was that we are 
in a fast growth stage, we're experimenting a lot. We're trying a lot of new marketing programs. We're rolling out new lead sources. We're playing around with high and low touch sales motions. So for us, we were at a point where it was really difficult for ops teams to be completely embedded in the functions that they supported. And we're finding that all of us talking to each other was the only way to make this work. So because of the complexity of our go-to-market motion, and also like I mentioned, the product-led growth element where there's just a lot of handoff points in the funnel for us, it was an easy decision. And since we made that change, it's just been an incredible change for us. I'll touch on a couple more reasons not to decentral or not to centralize. If you require really niche ops experts for specific product types, you really might want to have them embedded in, in that org versus centralized. Or the another reason, sorry, I skipped number three here. You have strong technical teams like biz ops, data, and engineering that oversee your whole tech stack. One of the big reasons for us in centralizing was also because of like the tech stack and having it owned under one roof was really important for us. But in some other organizations, that's not always owned by ops. So it's important to consider like that might not be a benefit you would get from centralizing if, that, if that's the case for you. And then again, like if things are working, like moving to a new model can be costly and cumbersome. So I think it's really, really important to think about how your business needs translate. There are a lot of trends and, um, and I think it's important to really put things in context. My next slide is just about, okay, <laughs> you think that centralizing is maybe the right thing for you to do. So how do you get leadership on board with this idea? And these are the things that I think what I've seen matters most to leadership. Start with the value to the customer. So if you can walk through what the experience is like for the customer now, it might be a little disjointed. Maybe you can create something more seamless by centralizing your ops. Another big deal for us, we can mob, well, we can mob high impact work. So that means if we are supporting a big new campaign launch, or if we want to overhaul a sales process, we can put a lot of effort on solving that one problem and just getting it done quickly if it's a high priority. Less risk because you can cross-train teammates. Like I said, ops folks get very busy and sometimes forget to do that really important part of their job, which is documentation. And so things can get lost in terms of how things work. And that can be really hard if you ever lose that person, um, if they leave the role or you bring on somebody new. And then the biggest one, I really think the biggest, most compelling one is that full funnel perspective on revenue. You can share with leadership that the centralized model allows RevOps to play such a key role in pinpointing those gaps across the whole funnel. So at what point, where should we invest? the most? Like what areas could we be more efficient? How should we adjust spend based on things that we're learning in sales conversations? And just having RevOps to sort of play that central role um, is a great selling point for leaders. And that also going back to the maturity model, that's really what the strategic end of the model is all about. And so I think RevOps lends itself really well to making progress in a framework like that. That's a great slide, the getting the leadership on board piece, because it is yeah. 
you know, you, you also do have marketing ops needs and you might, the, the very first person you hire in marketing ops might be more of a tools systems integrator type person. And today, given how tech driven marketing is, like you need that. But I think as you grow and marketing grows and marketing wants to be a revenue driver for the business, you need somebody on the marketing team or in that org who can own this more from a RevOps standpoint. I think it's a great trend. It makes a ton of sense, almost like getting rid of the term demand gen, which we could do a whole nother topic on. I think shifting from mark, just marketing ops to RevOps is, I mean, it's what I would want as a, as a marketing leader. A strong RevOps partner would be like arguably the most important early hire you could make. Yes. A hundred percent. I have, I think, one more slide on this, which is pretty meaty. And I have a lot of opinions on this. I think that you can do RevOps. If you do decide to make that transition to RevOps, I have some ways that you can do it well based on lessons that we have. The first thing up top here, carefully design your team structure So like I said, we have our ops team and they're the main interface with marketing, sales and customer success business leaders. So they sort of have their swim lanes, but then they use the rest of the RevOps team to help them make decisions about how to spend their time. They provide both strategic support to those teams, but also very tactical and execution focused support. Our analytics team really partners with GTM and finance. And then our tools and tech team Their core stakeholders are IT, engineering, and data teams. So they can kind of translate. I see them as the translators. They take the go-to-market needs and they translate them to the engineers and the more technical folks that we rely on quite heavily nowadays in ops. Position RevOps in your org. So be direct, share content about how to work with you, create a single RevOps roadmap. We talked about that for sure. Sorry, I'm hopping around to these Automate whatever wherever you can. Um, use AI wherever you can to improve the things that you're already doing. Invest in the right talent. It's not an excuse to understaff your ops team. Please don't do that. Make sure that you know you have the breadth and the depths of skills on the team across the different specializations that you need. And then this is the biggest one that I left for last: empower go-to-market teams. I'm a big proponent of not over-centralizing your ops. So we talked about centralizing the team. However, a really great operations team is built on systems that run themselves. You really don't want RevOps to become a bottleneck. You really don't want to become a ticket-taking team where there's just an over-reliance on RevOps to execute all things. Like You want to empower go-to-market teams to use the dashboards that you create and to self-serve insights and to self-serve execution where it makes sense. So really strong enablement for go-to-market teams is crucial if you move to a RevOps model as well. Here's a good question from uh, Carl, which will answer a bunch of other things. How are you measured? What's the major KPI and who do you report to? Yeah, so I report into the chief revenue officer My team in particular right now, we have different goals for different projects that we work on, but our big one right now is sales and marketing efficiency. So how are we improving lead quality through decisions that we make around lead definitions? Like what is a qualified lead versus not is an example of that. And then sales efficiency. How are we making sure that we are doing everything that we can to help them meet a predictable revenue forecast? That's what we're focused on right now, but our focus can change. 
What's the goal setting look like at Zapier? Like, do you do company goal setting and then RevOps gets assigned like a part of that or there's a key initiative that you own? How does it actually go down in the company? Yeah, so go-to-market has specific goals. So like our sales team has specific goals and our marketing team has specific goals. And so we view ourselves as really connected to those as well. But it's hard for us to have full accountability for those. So that's where the efficiency piece comes in. So we sort of layered on the, these RevOps specific goals that complement the that complement those higher level revenue goals for the go-to-market team. Yeah, like basically if a company were to go do a marketing plan for the year and they say, hey, our goal is to get to 10 million in revenue and here are the key objectives for the company, you can probably go and ask if you just keep going, if you keep like double clicking on each item, it's like kind of like RevOps is at the core of that. Okay, well, how are we going to get to 10 million? What does that mean from a booking standpoint and a new standpoint? Like RevOps has typically owned that kind of operating plan for the revenue teams at the company. Exactly. Yes, you articulated that yeah. much better than I did. Thank All you. Right. Matthew Sarson says lots of questions in Q&A, Dave, wink, which probably means his question is in there and he wants to answer it. So let's throw him a bone. Can a technical head of demand gen easily transition towards a RevOps director? A good career question for you. Absolutely. I think that having that experience in demand gen provides context that makes actually a really awesome RevOps leader. Actually, that's my <laughs> that's my experience. So definitely, I think the ways in which to do that maybe are if you have a RevOps team, pairing with them on projects to get more exposure to that world and taking ownership of maybe special projects that do rely heavily on operational excellence and technology could be ways to get exposure early on. I've also seen this as a career path. A couple people that I know were, well, one of them was like burnt out of a demand gen role and like uh, her core function, what her, you know, her core skill set within demand gen was very like ops focus. And now she is a focus on rev ops. And I know another person who was a head of marketing that was very like demand gen focus. And now he's head of marketing ops at like a much bigger company. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right, let me mark that one as answered. Holy smokes, there are a lot in here. <laughs> uh, we kind of answered this one from Rachel. What's your definition of RevOps and what does that mean at Zapier? This question is from Darren. What technical skills are absolutely must-have for revs, a RevOps leader versus those that are nice to have or can be learned via experience? Mm. You know, technical skills are interesting. I think that when we think about technical skills, a lot of people gravitate toward like a specific technology. So like, oh, someone needs to be certified in Salesforce and know like how data is processed in and out of third-party tools. I would say understanding how data is processed in, in and out of third-party tools is important to understand and the, the ways in which to do that. However, I am not someone who thinks that like you have to be a Marketo expert or a Salesforce expert to be successful in RevOps, I think if you're a really good problem solver and you can translate the technical parts of operation to non-technical people, those are the skills that are actually the most valuable based on what I've seen. You can probably always hire the Marketo specialist type person, right? Yeah, and, and somebody who is a Marketo specialist, I guarantee you can pick up 
Eloqua Pardot HubSpot yeah. very easily. Like, yeah. you know, they have the acumen. I think you make an interesting point though, which is um, you might not have to know Marketo specifically, but I you have to have a philosophy on B2B SaaS companies or, or most of the people that are listening are coming from that world. Like data is so essential to the business. There is no business without the data and marketing data and sales and revenue data. And so like, if you don't have a understanding of like how all that stuff flows and like, okay, a customer gets, you know, we do this on the website, then a customer does this thing and then sales does this thing. And then you have a meeting here, but they actually have, you have to have a basic understanding and philosophy of that. You don't, maybe don't have to have a particular like playbook around it, but you have to be well-versed in like how all those things work. What do you think about that? A hundred percent. Yeah. And like, what types of things do you need timestamps for so you can actually measure conversion rates and things like that versus what types of things can just be daily syncs of data versus things that you need in real time? And then how do you translate that and the impact of that back to business leaders, I think is something that can be challenging, but really great if someone can master that. Cool. All right. We answered that one. That was a good one. We answered this one, which I'm, I'm talking to myself now. This one is from Christopher. How do you structure your team with roles and responsibilities? Are they separated by mops and sops? Ooh, I love this question. We started by separating our team goals, but we actually learned that was not working well for us because we were very, we, it was keeping us siloed. So we actually have projects in RevOps that touch all of the different teams within ops. Let me try and think of an example. We're overhauling our lead management process because we're rolling out a lot of new lead sources. And so the person who is the driver of that, so what we call the DRI, is on our operations team and she specializes in marketing ops. However, that project touches sales ops, success ops, and our analytics team and our tools and tech team. So we have her as the core driver and the core responsible person for executing that. But she works very closely with all members of the ops team essentially to deliver on it. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Mops and sops and... (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Lindsay, what are the RevOps basics as a Series A SaaS business should have and that a Series A SaaS business should have in place? The current internal resources are CRO, two BDRs, an AE, and one marketing person focused on demand gen. Yes. Great question. So the goals I would have in that case, when you're pretty early on in your ops journey, make sure, number one, you can track and report on the things that you want to track and report. So defining the foundations, like what are the lead and deal stages that you need? And how do you align the org around consistent definitions for those so that you can start to create benchmarks? So those are like the, what do you want to measure? How do you define those foundations? What are what are those stages for your customers? And then how do you just start benchmarking and collecting that data to be able to say whether you're improving or not? That's really like the first place to start in my mind. The other thing is just around ops. Like, are you speeding up campaign execution? Are you shipping things that are going to have a big impact versus just be kind of incremental? So early on, those are the other things that I think are really important to look at in terms of goals. Uh, We kind of covered this, but let's do it again in a different way. What would you say are the key skills and attributes of a RevOps director or even broader? What skills and attributes do you require across the whole RevOps team? 
Yeah. So the people who gravitate toward problem solving, the people who are invigorated by problems and not um, who don't tend to shy away from them or not address them, strong business acumen is really, really important. So are they able to identify those big swings versus little improvements? Like, because we have to make a lot of trade-offs in terms of what we're working on. Analytical, people who like to tinker (laughs) with new technology is great. I think we have to also just make sure that as a RevOps team, we have frameworks for how to do that in a way that's productive. But we love all, we all love playing and exploring new tools. Knowing what problems are worth solving and then um, solving them with the right level of effort. So again, not every problem needs to be perfect. RevOps folks, ops folks, we can tend to be process perfectionists, like I said earlier. So we have to rein that in and apply business acumen alongside that to make it successful. This question is from Caitlin. Uh, What's a process that you can put in place when checking on processes that you've implemented to see if people are using it and getting what they need from it? Oh, that's a really good question. That is one of the hardest things to do. This is really straightforward, but we've talked about, we haven't done this yet, but we've talked about doing sort of a, a survey or a poll for internal users. Like how much value are you getting out of this? Almost like a net promoter score for our internal RevOps team. That's just one idea. Yeah, I'd have to give this some more thought, but it is tough. I think just Are the campaigns that you're launching utilizing tools effectively? Yes or no? Like maybe that's a good place to start too. Yeah, it probably depends on the size of the company too. Like if you can all meet and have a regular meeting, are you getting feedback in those meetings? If you're at a bigger company, you might not have a direct line. Yeah, that's a great point too. This is from Holly. What if your company has no formal ops roles? Where do you start? Is there some sort of playbook? Right now, different people dabble in it. Wouldn't you say that most common kind of starts off as a demand gen thing? Yeah, that is what I have seen. You want to make sure that you have skills on your demand gen team that do lean operational and there are folks comfortable with building automations. I think this goes back to those other things like what are the things that you want to measure and how do you build the workflows and the processes to measure them is like a really great foundational place to start. Once you really like start scaling, that's when you're going to want to make sure that you have someone who can be dedicated to that. Because if you're early on and you're experimental and you're trying a lot of things, I think it's okay. But once you really start to scale those programs, it's going to get hard if you don't have some standardization in the way that you roll things out. All right, let's end on this one. This is from Emma. As a marketing ops leader, I worry that centralizing could mean that marketing gets the short end of the stick on support, especially with how fast marketing wants to move. How can you avoid that in a centralized model? That is a really good one. This was my worry too. You know, I'm a marketer through and through. Um, I love supporting marketing. And so I, I definitely had a similar experience. I think at the end of the day, like you can use that roadmap exercise to just bring visibility to how your team is spending its time. And if a lot of the projects are sales focused, maybe that is the priority for the business. And that gives you a chance to kind of learn more about that end of the go-to-market funnel. But at the end of the day, like I, I think prioritization and just sharing, bringing visibility to what the things that your team is spending our time on will just at least give you some peace of mind that that is the right decision or maybe it's not. 
All right, Lindsay, we have 700 other questions we could spend hours and hours, but you got to get back to your job leading RevOps at a great company. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for the time. A bunch of people joined us live here for the Exit 5 Live. This will come out later as an episode of the Exit 5 podcast. So thanks if you're listening on that. Everybody else will get the recording. We'll post it in the community. If you registered, you'll get it. We will do more sessions like this. I think RevOps Part 2 Deep Dive is going to be needed after all the questions (laughs) after this one. So uh, Lindsay, this was great. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to everybody later. Thank you, Dave. And thank you, everyone, for the great questions. See you later. Okay, good job. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Exit 5 podcast. If you're in B2B marketing and you want to grow your career, you should also go and check out everything that we have over at Exit5.com. We've got articles, we've got videos, we've got templates. Plus, we have a community, a community of over 4,000 B2B marketing pros. Whether you're deep in your career and want to connect with your peers or just starting up and you want a place to go where you can see what people are talking about, get smarter about B2B marketing in your own time to grow your career and help grow your company, go and check it out. It's exit5.com. You can get on the email list there. You can join the community. There's 4,000 marketers in the community. We have a job board. We're always adding new stuff. It's really becoming the number one place you can go if you want to grow your career and learn more about B2B marketing outside of what you're doing inside of your company every day. So check it out, exit5.com. And I also want to make sure I give a shout out to my friends at Hatch. That's hatch.fm. They produce this podcast. It sounds amazing because of the work that they do. And they work with B2B companies just like yours. They offer unlimited podcast editing and strategy for businesses. You can get unlimited podcast editing and on-demand strategy for a low monthly cost. All you got to do is just upload your episode and they take care of the rest. Go and check them out. It's hatch.fm. Hello, hello, hello. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no chance to get that meeting. This is the silent nightmare for marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. The most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can ask their team about what that is. Marketers using Apollo have seen outbound email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get with Apollo? Head over to apollo.io slash e5, apollo.io slash e5. If you go there right now, their team will set you up with a free account for you. And as a thank you for your time, check this out. You're going to get a free annual membership to Exit 5. That's valued at $275 just for checking them out. And the tool is free. If you're not already a member, this is a great opportunity. And if you are and you want to learn more, go to apollo.io slash e5.